Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihil kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, what's the name of the essay we're working on now? Um, Give it to your time. Godless morality. Godless morality. Okay, very good. And let me just put it here. Okay. With Mark Hauser. Okay. Go for it. Is religion necessary for morality? Many people consider it outrageous, even blasphemous, to deny the divine origin of morality. Either some divine being crafted our moral sense, or we picked it up from the teachings of organized religion. Either way, we need religion to curb those <coughs> vices. Paraphrasing Catherine Hepburn in the movie The African Queen, religion allows us to rise above wicked old Mother Nature, handing us a moral compass. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think about that? Uh, do we need religion for morality? No. And argue why? Because, as we talked about earlier, that the premise that we're basing this off of is that people do not want to suffer. Mm -hmm. And so if people do not want to suffer, then that means that we should, that means that the best thing for ourselves and for everyone is to prevent suffering, okay. or at least provide the greatest degree of utility. Okay. And so based on that, acting morally and upright would accomplish that goal. Okay. So then what if we push back and say that... Um, uh, I don't want suffering, but I'm indifferent to whether or not other people have suffering. Then what would that do for morality? What do you think? Well, based on that approach, that would still be harmful to you because then if everybody adopted that approach, because like if you adopt that approach, then that means other people can adopt that approach, mm -hmm. and then that means that people wouldn't care about your suffering either, but you mm -hmm. want people to care about your suffering. Mm -hmm. So in order for other people to care about your suffering, you have to care about other people's suffering. Mm -hmm. So basically, it's all just a big selfish thing. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, in the short term, it looks like I can get away with only focusing on avoiding my own suffering, mm -hmm. but in the long term, exactly as you said, that, all right, if everyone only cared about preventing their own suffering, and was indifferent to everyone else's, then you'd basically have chaos. It'd be no different than people not caring about suffering. And so in the long term, someone who has more foresight will realize that, okay, the best way for me to keep my suffering at a minimum is to try to keep everyone's suffering at a minimum, which would then construct a system of morality. Okay? So that's looking at it from, from that lens. What about from just an Islamic outlook? What would you say? Like, yeah, from an Islamic lens, do we believe that you need religion for morality? Or that religion invents morality or any of that? Um, I think it promotes it, but mm -hmm. I don't think it needs mm -hmm. to be there for Why? a person to be moral. Because, like, from the Islamic perspective? Yeah. Or within an Islamic perspective? Think about it from the lens of fitra. Oh, like how people are naturally mm -hmm. good, like that? Yeah. So. Seems like, uh, am I detecting some skepticism? 
No. <laughs> I mean, so then from the Islamic perspective, you'd say that people should be moral because that's what's natural? Potentially, right. Or a, a way to frame this is, <coughs> um, how was I just going to say it? I just lost my, my train of thought. Well, part of it, and then inshallah I'll come back. So, um, that uh, in, oh, so the, oh yeah, here it is. So the question is basically, are people innately, by default, good? If there's a default, is the default evil? Is the default nothing? Meaning like we're a blank slate when we're born. And so we can argue from within an Islamic paradigm that people are by default good. But then you do have shaitan, and then you do also have appetites, which might then, um, you know, get you, especially in moments, to depart from what's good. So like when Adam and Eve, peace be upon them, went to the tree, shaitan made them forget, Right? They slipped, or they, 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 they forgot, and they went to the tree. And, and so, uh, uh, so we say a common Sunni view, a common, well not Sunni, a common Muslim view is that people are by default good. If that is true, then it's probably fair to say that people have a default morality. Right? So everyone does have a selfishness. Um, um, and some of our outlook is even saying that there's a good selfishness, right? If I'm helping you just because I want reward from Allah, that's still a good thing, even though it's wholly selfish, mm-hmm. right? Um, um, and naturally, people are more complicated than just saying good or bad, but we'd say probably that the default is, is towards being good. Like, you're not going to find too many people who find joy and pleasure in being told that they're evil, Right? But you will find many, many people who will find joy and pleasure in being told that they're good. Right. So somewhere in there, it seems like there is a default good. And then also, is, doesn't Islam also support the point of being moral for your own good? Because I remember, I think it was Murphy who was saying that like things that are halal means like halal means that it's good for you, and haram yes. that it's bad for you. So yeah. basically, everything that's morally upright are yeah. things that are good for you, yeah. whether or not you. Yeah, so we're also saying that uh, our outlook is that not only are people by default good, that the world is by default good. Good. Right, because Adam and Eve, peace be upon them, were sent down to basically be the Khalifas of the earth. They weren't sent down as a punishment. Right. You can argue that, I mean, different interpretations of what happens with the tree. One is to say that, all right, because they went to the tree, they unravel this whole series of events, which leads them to go to the, the world. But even the beginning of that is Allah's creating a khalifa on the earth, right? Or you can say that the event with the tree was a training exercise, so they can see that, okay, you're going to make mistakes. What you need to do is do tawbah and come back and follow Allah's guidance, right? Uh, but in any case, the, uh, the going down to the earth is not, a, is not a punishment in our paradigm, right? In Christianity, it's a punishment because of original sin. Okay? And, and so... Uh, Human nature's default is good. The world, def- the default of the world is good. Yeah. And what do you get when you mix human nature with the world? You get culture. And so we're saying culture by default is also good too. Right? But you have shaitan in the mix. 
who is trying to capitalize on our appetites. Why is being good in nature a good enough reason to be warm? I'm not saying it's a good enough. I'm just saying that's the default tendency. So thus, that which is so the default then for everything you would do is the default is halal, mm-hmm. except so if I'm telling you you can't do something, the burden of proof is on me, right? Uh, if I'm saying it's it's makru or even haram, the burden of proof is on me, right? Um, otherwise, the default is everything mubah, right? And so, so then we can potentially argue that the natural tendency of people, or another way to frame this is that, okay, one of the names we give to Islam is Deen al-Fitra, right? So it's the deen that, that guides and fits, or your fitra fits into. And so it's just reinforcing things that are naturally within you. Right. What do you think? Like, Islam supports that point, too. Mm-hmm. And even in my ethics class, we were talking about that, too. Like, how you don't need religion to be moral because, mm-hmm. because it just makes sense without it, too. Yeah. But that's what we're essentially saying. That, yeah, uh, so, like, they both, like, go together, kind of. Yeah. The, the basic point being that you can argue from within an Islamic paradigm that a person is, by default, uh, moral. Right? Um but it doesn't mean that people will remain moral. And so that's where Dean comes in, to help people remain moral. Okay. Yeah. Yet problems abound for the view that morality comes from God. One problem is that we cannot, without lapsing into tautology, simultaneously say that God is good and that he gave us our sense of good and bad. Um, for then we are simply saying that God that God meets God's standards. Okay, this is a, a fun paragraph. Let's take it piece by piece. You know what a tautology is? No. Tautology is basically when you just keep repeating the same thing in different words. Right? So like, uh, the name my father wanted to name me was Ghalib. Okay? And then my middle name is his, uh, is his calling name, Mansur. And then the last name is Muzaffar. Right? So you can argue all three of those names kind of mean the same thing. Right? Muzaffar is what? Like the one who is made victorious. Mansur is the one who has helped. Ghalib is conqueror. Right? And so that would be a tautology. It's like kind of like the same point said in different ways. So he's saying... <coughs> If we're saying God is good, okay, uh, first problem is if God is good, then where's the bad coming from? Okay, if God is good. And that's something we discussed, I think, in a previous essay, right? Uh, but then what we're just saying is that if God is the one who is setting up the standard for everything, then God is basically what just God says he is. Okay. Uh, isn't that what we say in Islam, basically? Like. I mean, all, how do we know who Allah is? By what he tells us. By what he tells us, right? Uh, but here so far, 
uh, Singer describing that as a problem. Okay. He's just saying that's a tautology. Okay. God is great because God said he's great. Okay. And then what does it mean for God to be great? It's whatever God defines. And we're saying, yeah, that's Islam 101. Right. Okay, let's see, let's see what else he says. The second problem is that there are no moral principles that are shared by all religious people, regardless of their specific beliefs, but by no agnostics and atheists. Indeed, atheists and agnostics do not behave less morally than religious believers, even if their virtuous acts rest on different principles. What do you think about that? Uh, would it be fair to say atheists and agnostics do not behave less morally than religious believers? Would it be fair to say that? Or accurate. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Yeah, I would still want to see data, right? Because uh, it is a very bold claim. That I would probably agree with, too, right? Uh, I'd still be curious to see what the data says. I'd be curious if atheists and agnostics tend to uh, behave more morally than religious believers, right? Uh, because, as we know, uh, sometimes if you believe you're guaranteed salvation, that gives you permission to behave at a lower level, right? And most people, in, uh, I don't think you're going to find too many people in Islam who are going to say they're guaranteed salvation, but you'll find a lot of people who behave like they are, meaning they are not as concerned. Yeah, I think I wouldn't be surprised if I found out that atheists and agnostics acted more morally than religious people. Yeah. So, oh, because I was just saying, like, because I feel like religious people aren't good for, I mean, they aren't moral for the sake of being good mm -hmm. and upright. They're good for, like, as you said, like, selfish reasons, or as mm -hmm. we said, selfish reasons, like, just for the reward. But then if they're like, oh, like, I did that yesterday, I don't have to do it today, it's like... Mm -hmm. It's just like based on. Yeah. So that that would I would be curious to see data, I'd like to see if the data seems to indicate everyone's more or less the same, or if one group even, let's say one particular group out of all the religions and non-religions, is better, or if people of non-belief tend to be better. I'd be I'd be curious, but by and large, for our purposes, we can say uh, I mean this is probably an accurate statement. Then, like I mean I just saw like this thing somewhere where basically I think atheists were saying that if you're good for the sake, like just for the sake of a reward, then are you actually good? Because then if you take away that reward, then you won't be good anymore. So then okay. technically that would make atheists more moral mm -hmm. than most religious people. Potentially. So, so then we would define um, what is uh, an acceptable goodness or not. Like if it's based on your intention. So yeah, yeah. Uh, the, so let's say everything I do, I only do it either for the pleasure of Allah or reward from Allah, okay? And let's say every single thing I do uh, is with that intention. Yeah, and so I'm saying it's either one of those. Let's say some, day, some moments it's just for the pleasure of Allah, other moments it's for reward, okay? Uh, let's even add in other moments it's to avoid punishment, okay? And so if you were to make a list of every single one of my actions, it's one of those three intentions, okay? Uh, now, if you look at me from, in terms of my behavior, would that be a moral person? Yes. Yeah. And so, so this would be the difference between what is the actual action and then the intention behind the action, right? And so if the end result is that I am moral only for avoiding hell, that person's probably going to be a very, very ultra-moral person. 
right? Now, we would argue that if you take the reward away, but the reward, I'm saying, is not going to go away. That's from God. The only way that reward would go away is if someone shatters my faith. Then, then I may not have any motivation. Then we might see what I would be without those incentives. But if you're just looking at somebody who's doing good things just to avoid punishment, then that wouldn't lead them to perform like superrogatory acts. They would just... Why not? Because if you don't go above and beyond, that's not... Like, you don't have to go above and beyond to avoid punishment. You just don't have to do bad things. But let's say I'm that concerned that I do... Um, okay, so uh, from the perspective within our deen, uh, I stay away from haram mm-hmm. so I don't go to hell, so I don't get punished. But I'm also doing all the fard, right? So I don't get punished for not doing the fard, right? And then let's say I'm also doing the nuffle to absolutely make sure I don't. So that's like extra. Yeah, superrogatory. Yeah. Yeah. But let's say I'm doing that um, because I want to absolutely guarantee that I don't get punished. But I'm thinking like with interactions with people. Yeah, same thing. Like, would you, like, would a person go out of their way? to help someone who's struggling in organic chemistry, for instance. Like, if, I, if I believe that that'll help me prevent punishment? I think so. Okay. I mean, yeah, I see what you're saying, that it could go both ways. Um, but I think I can make the argument <coughs> that if I want to absolutely guaranteed that I don't get punished on the other side. Uh, I would be a person who is super ultra giving and ultra moral, right? Uh, likewise, if I was someone who wanted, you know, the highest possible rewards of paradise, okay, then that person is definitely going to be doing nuffles, right? You know, and nuffle including, you know, even removing, you know, uh, uh, a twig so people don't step on it. I think we talked about this before, but remember, like, we're saying, like, Kohlberg stages of morality, okay. and how, like, the lowest stage is basically doing things to avoid punishment or get reward. Sure, which is still morality. <laughs> but it's, like, it's just such an unrefined, it's just so, like, I don't know, uh-huh. it's just not an appealing type of morality. Sure, sure, and I'm suggesting from my understanding of an Islamic lens that is uh, a perfectly satisfactory Okay. Uh, um, approach that can lead to the top level of paradise and in this world can be can result in a person who is of the highest standards of morality I guess I would agree because actions sometimes change a person's beliefs so like if you do good because you just want to avoid the hell yeah but you don't feel sincerely good on the inside. Like, you're doing things that you... Like, I hate helping people, but mm-hmm. I will help them anyways to avoid help. Yeah. Then I guess it could be learned. Because mm-hmm. we did talk about that before, how mm-hmm. morality could be learned. Yeah. So I guess I would agree that if they kept doing it enough, then eventually mm-hmm. they would reach that level. Sure. And, and let's say uh, I... Uh, all, uh, let's say I just hate humanity for whatever reason, but I don't want to go to hell. 
right? And so let's say I hate everyone, okay? But because I don't want to go to hell, I'm still good to everyone, even though deep down inside, I hate everyone, right? Is that an immoral person? Oh yeah, there was this study done where they told adults to judge how like moral a person was based yeah. on. So the person who wanted to do something bad but refrained from doing it was rated more uh-huh. like a better person than the person who didn't want to do something bad and didn't end up doing it anyways because mm-hmm. they didn't even have the temptation. Sure. So I guess someone who goes through that struggle and still picks the better option. Mm-hmm. Does happen. I mean, what do we say about a person who intends to do something bad, but they don't? And they get rewarded. They get rewarded for, for, for having done it good. Yeah. I'd say a default in our modern American cultural outlook, however, is that the best action is something that is purely selfless. Okay. And I think that's often the, the, the lens through which we're looking at everything. Is that possible? I mean... I don't know that it's possible, but I think we culturally say that that's the default. And I suggest a lot of that actually comes from, from textbook Christianity, especially the weekend where we just passed Easter, right? Where God is sacrificing his son, okay, you know, to atone for everyone else, right? And, and, and I'm suggesting in, a, in an Islamic outlook, uh, the standard is actually lower, right? that you can do uh, things that are 100% selfish, right? Meaning you're only doing things to get palaces in paradise, okay? And that is still an outstanding intention. So I guess it's catering more towards natural human inclinations because people are just naturally selfish. That's Mm -hmm. just how people are, right? I think that is very much how Islam works. It's saying this is how people are. It's not looking at how people should be. Right? It's looking at how this is how people are. Alright, let's continue. A second problem is that there are no moral principles. Oh, wait, I read this. Wait. It was like one of those sentences later. Non believers. Non-believers often have as strong and sound a sense of right and wrong as anyone, and have worked to abolish slavery and contributed to other efforts to alleviate human suffering. Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, that's basically what we can really Yeah, although I don't think his example is a good example. I think a lot of the people who are working to abolish slavery in America were Christians, and I think a lot of people who are working to abolish slavery in Africa were, were Muslims. Um, it's also fair to say that slave masters and slave traders were Christians and Muslims, right? Um, but I don't think it's as fair, or unless he's thinking of an example that I'm not thinking of, to, to use that as the example, right? But uh, do they have as strong and sound a sense of right and wrong? I'm not going to agree with the word sound because that's totally subjective, mm-hmm. right? Strong, probably, right? And I don't think that contradicts uh, an Islamic outlook, right? Except when we speak of kafirs, 
So think of kafir as different than non-Muslim. And kafir, I mean at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him. That like polytheists? Oh, well, uh, mushriks or kafirs. Okay. But the idea of kafirs, especially at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, we seem to see a synonymous connection between rejection uh, as well as bad character, right? Bearing daughters, being unfair in, in trade, mm-hmm. you know, oppressing, so forth and so on. Yeah. Today, we'd probably say a kafir is oppressive to him or herself, um, especially if they don't have any significant power. So I'm saying a kafir is someone who willfully rejects, whereas a non-believer may not have rejected. So like nowadays, what would be a kafir? Um, it'd be harder to find a kafir these days, but someone who... Uh, I mean, so like today, or I'd say any time where you don't have the prophet present anymore. Um, so kufr is, is when someone feels compelled to turn to Allah, and they suppress that. So they're rejecting, right? And so it becomes a condition of the heart. We might be able to argue that people who are fighting uh, Islam or fighting Muslims because of belief might be a kafir. But even that I'm hesitant just because the accusation of kafir is such a huge, uh, such a huge thing. Mm-hmm. But I am saying that kafir and non-Muslim are not synonymous. is also true. From God's command to Moses to slaughter the Midianites, men, women, boys, and non-virginal girls, through the Crusades, the Inquisition, innumerable conflicts between Sunni and Shiite Muslims, and suicide bombers convinced that martyrdom will lead them to paradise. Religion has led people to commit a long litany of horrendous crimes. Okay, so what do you think about this paragraph? What is he arguing? He's saying that just as being non-religious can make you a good person, being religious can make you a bad person. Yeah. I feel like he's saying even more than that. Um, I do definitely say he's saying exactly what you just said. Uh, I think he's almost making the point that uh, that uh, religion might, by default, give you excuse to be a bad person. He's not clear. But at least he's definitely saying in these two paragraphs being a non-believer doesn't automatically mean you're less moral. And being a believer doesn't automatically mean you're more moral. Right? Which I think we'd agree. Uh, but if he's saying all of these different examples are proof that if you are religious, you're going to be less moral, then I think that's, uh, I disagree with that. Right? Especially because it leaves out all the the, the destruction of the 20th century, yeah, and much of that was not uh, openly motivated by religion. Okay. okay, let's continue. The third difficulty for the view that morality is rooted in religion is that some elements of morality seem to be universal, despite sharp doctrinal differences among the world's major religions. In fact, these elements extend even to cultures like China, where religion is less significant than philosophical outlooks like Confucianism. I guess what's he arguing there? He's saying that morality is universal, whereas... Oh, and religion just adopts those universal Mm -hmm. aspects. Yeah. Now, uh, that's exactly what he's saying. And the question I'd raise is that, all right, 
if I'm an atheist, then I'm just saying religion is an invention by people, right? Mm -hmm. Which means that, yeah, of course they're going to have the same morality. Because it's just coming from people. Yeah, I think he's saying <clears throat> um, you will still find across religions that, okay, you shouldn't kill people, mm. right? You shouldn't lie. You might find exceptions that are allowed, but as a default, you'll probably find those. Yeah. Um, perhaps a divine creator handed us these universal elements at the moment of creation but an alternative explanation consistent with the facts of biology and geology is that over millions of years we have evolved a moral faculty that generates intuitions about right and wrong. Okay, what do you think? I think that goes along with what we were saying, that it's better for us because based off of evolution, it's mm -hmm. like we evolved to live the best possible lives mm -hmm. for ourselves, so mm -hmm. being moral prevents the destruction of society, basically. Mm -hmm. the society would fall, apart, would fall apart without morality. Mm -hmm. So we've just naturally mm -hmm. become moral. So then the question would be, uh, can we say objectively that looking over the last thousand years, five thousand years, that humanity has gotten more just. Okay. So, I don't remember if we discussed it, but there's a famous line attributed to Dr. King, you know, Martin Luther King, where he says, you know, the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice, right? And then there's this other person, Ta-Nehisi Coates, who says no, right? And can we say holistically that humanity is getting, for example, less violent? So there's this, and we probably talked about this, Steven Pinker, who's, uh, I think, a neuroscientist, who says that, yeah, violence has actually decreased. Okay. If you actually look at the amount of violence proportional to how many people there are, um, violence has actually decreased over, over, uh, over the centuries. Um, but, yeah, that would be a question of data. What he's offering are, are essentially just theories. You know. But even if it didn't decrease, like, based off their evolution claim, like, evolution takes... Not just a thousand years, yeah. it's like millions of uh -huh. years sometimes. So I think even if it didn't decrease, that would not be contradicting uh -huh. the statement. Yeah, true, true. Uh, I would think that uh, my, my main contention with this paragraph is that these are essentially uh, theories or explanations. Right. Uh, that perhaps this is how it happened, which is fine. Either I agree or I don't agree. Right. As opposed to saying, well, we can show it data, this is what's going on. Right? Even if it's over 10,000 years. Right? See what I'm saying? But isn't that what we for some explanations too? Do we? What would be uh, similarities, what would be differences? Like, I feel like we just have the perfect reason for everything, or the perfect answer to everything. So mm -hmm. we just say it's like... I don't know, what if that's just trying to give an answer that fits 
Mm-hmm. So in theory, we'd like to have our perfect answer somehow connected to text. Okay. So let's frame it this way. <clears throat> in a Sunni lens, or what is the, why do we have the existence of what we call Sunni? The basic idea being that, okay, how do we find reliable, consistent answers to our questions, to our needs? Okay. And so, so the, what we would call the Sunni outlook, we're looking at what do we have in our primary sources, okay? so the Quran and the Hadith. Okay? And then what would be methods of interpretation? So this would be how do we interpret the language? Okay? Uh, and how do we interpret patterns that we find? Okay? Add to that what do we find in the living practice of Islam? Okay? So, like, you know, like the example we gave is you don't learn how to pray from, from the hadith as much as you learn how to pray from someone who learned from someone who learned from someone, going back to the Prophet, peace be upon him, right? So the isnad, okay? And then what we would generally uh, seek as consensus, okay? Now, where there's going to be a consensus is going to be a very small, small list of things, okay? Like, in matters of aqidah, it's barely a page, where everyone more or less agrees, and where everyone, everyone agrees is not even a paragraph. Okay. And so, in the Sunni outlook, these are our attempts to find those answers. Okay. And, and so, when even we use the word tradition, we're basically saying the whole series of conversations. That's basically what we mean by tradition. Okay. It's not like someone came along and says, this is the Islamic tradition. No, we're just talking about this long history of conversations with whole bunches of views and agreements and disagreements and stuff like that. But where the agreement is, is a very, very short list of things. Okay? And agreement includes what we consider to be the boundaries. Right? And so, so how do we, when, uh, where I'd agree with you in terms of the critique of this paragraph, is that if it's an abstract matter, then yeah, we're probably going to have a simple answer. And that's my complaint here. That it's basically like it's an abstract explanation. Okay, either this all came from God, or maybe it came from from evolution. And a third person could say, "Well, God made it happen through evolution." And but it's just an abstract. You can't really prove it wrong. See what I'm saying? Yeah. And from that way, I'd say, yeah, the closest way then we'd have to be able to prove something, so to speak, wrong from within Islamic lens is to look at this conversation. Okay, does it contradict text? Contradict text? Is it supported by text? How? Yes. How? No. Right? In terms of the history of answers to this question, how does it fit? Right? Um, and that's how we'd answer it. But a lot of this is purely qualitative, meaning it's not precise. So, theories of, you know, free will, predestination, which is what this is sort of. Like, did Allah predestine evolution to lead to modern morality? I mean, it's basically purely a theoretical question that no one is obliged to agree with because it's purely theoretical. Right. But based off the Islamic perspective, it could agree with his... It could agree 100%. Okay. Yeah. My complaint is that it's just so wide, it's just yeah. a theory. It's just like, it's not grounded in anything. Yeah. Like if you were to say, well, here's data, and data doesn't just mean numbers. Yeah. Data could be text. Okay. Right. Uh, then it's easier for me to say, yeah, I agree or disagree. Yeah. Here there's nothing to agree or disagree with. It's like, yeah, works, fine. Someone else could say Allah sent aliens 
and who caused evolution to happen at every step. Right? You can't disprove that anymore that you can disprove this. And that becomes one of the big questions. Can you disprove things? You know, can you disprove ideas? And if yes, how? Right. Does Islam try to disprove ideas? I think only when it matters. And so what, how do things matter? Like, you know, on the Day of Judgment. Right? And so we place so much focus on making sure those narrations that relate to what we're going to be held to account for on the, next, on the other side, we put in a whole lot of effort to making sure those are true or false. Okay. But if it's an abstract matter that doesn't really affect things, then it's, yeah, go ahead, argue whatever you want. Right? But be clear, it's not relevant. Even though for you it might be very serious because this is your focus in life. Right? Um, now, those things become relevant because they can spread into the minds of people, right? So, okay, let's do a little bit more, and then we'll have to stop uh, to, to head to class. Um, <clears throat> for the first time, research in the cognitive sciences, building on theoretical arguments emerging from moral philosophy, has made it possible to resolve the ancient dispute about the origin and nature of morality. Okay, so we'll see what he's about to say. Consider the following three scenarios. For each, fill in the blank space with obligatory, permissible, or forbidden. Tell you what, let's hold off on this. Okay. Uh, let's let's uh, uh, revisit this uh, next time, inshallah. Okay. All right, subhanakallahu wa bihamdika, nashadu illa ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka natubu ilayk, wa akhira da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.